Love you. Uh, open, open your Bibles to Matthew 16, verse 13. Matthew 16, 13. Uh, I forgot an announcement. Um, we're, uh, we have a new members class starting today. Uh, it'll be on the, the third floor right after service. If anyone wants to come to that, you're welcome to um, go through that with us. It's a whole, whole lot of fun. Right? Okay. Um, so our, our text tells us a lot this week, but the main thing it tells us is this. Death does not get the last word on God's world or God's people. Okay? The Messiah and those in the Messiah will overcome death. We will. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, blessed are you. Another beatitude. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father In the heavens. And I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. This is God's word. So, in uh, last week's passage, the Pharisees and Sadducees, due to unbelief, are asking Jesus for a sign, and Jesus says to them, You are an evil and adulterous, unbelieving generation, just like the generation of Moses. And so no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. The Son of Man will go into the earth and three days later come out of the earth. Then he and his disciples left. And the disciples show the same sort of doubt that the Pharisees and Sadducees did. And Jesus rebukes them by reminding them all the signs he's already shown them, right? Particularly all the signs concerning Bread. Okay. Now, in these next few sections, okay, over the next couple weeks, Jesus or, or Matthew is going. Jesus in Matthew is is going to counter the lack of sign given to the Pharisees and Sadducees by showing his disciples great, big, magnificent, awesome, undeniable signs uh, by showing them, uh, namely in his prediction of his uh, suffering and, and death and resurrection in Jerusalem and in the transfiguration event. Okay, they go up on the mountain. Jesus is transfigured to, to be in his glorified, resurrected body, and they see it and go, that's probably the guy. Okay, it, it's about as big a sign as you can get. Okay, but before Jesus is going to show them the big like things you just cannot ignore, he's going to test them and see if they're all in. And he's already done this several times. Okay, Jesus is is from from Genesis one testing the hearts of men, and, and Jesus does this all throughout his ministry. So he'll make some big hoopla, uh, miracles and teaching and whatever, and gather a big crowd, and then. He'll give a hard teaching to test hearts, right? Okay, like the the, the Sermon on on the Mount, he's he's popular at this point. There's a big crowd um, around him. You know, at other times he has to go out onto a boat so he can reach everyone on the beach. And then he gives a hard teaching to test hearts. He says, don't live for this age. Live for the age to come. All the casuals leave when they hear the hard teaching. And who stays? 
The disciples, okay, he's testing um, their hearts. The last couple weeks and even passages um, before those, Jesus makes a bunch of bread, right? And fish and loaves and multiplies the things and he's really popular, right? He's a big deal. People like him and are staying, but then he gives a hard teaching in response to this. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, the casuals leave and who stays? The disciples. And Jesus says, do you guys want to leave too? And what's Peter say? Where else could we go? We don't understand everything that you're doing here, okay? But we know you alone have the words of life. Where else are we going to go, okay? So Jesus is over and over and over testing them. Say, are you guys all in or are you not? And Jesus is doing the same thing to you, okay? He's doing the same thing to us, testing the hearts of men, building us up in strength before the days ahead. And it's what he does here. So same kind of deal. The, The context is Jesus testing Um, the hearts of his disciples. When Jesus came to the region, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, which makes total sense, okay? Jesus steals John's sermons, right? John's out preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven, the day of the Lord is at hand. And Jesus is like, that's good, I'm going to run with that. And Jesus starts to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven, the day of the Lord is at hand. Uh, Herod, Matthew 14, Herod believed that Jesus might be John the Baptist raised from the dead, right? Herod cuts off John's head and then John's message is still going out. The miracles associated with John and Jesus are still going out. And he goes, maybe John got his head back. Okay, like the Maccabees, right? Got his head back. Uh, he's raised from the dead. So may, uh, some say you're John the Baptist. You preach the same message. You do the same um, things. Others, though, think you might be Elijah. They also thought John was Elijah. At one point, Jesus says, John is Elijah. Okay, and there, there's an Elijah to come. Malachi prophesied before the day of the Lord, before the kingdom of God, uh, Elijah would come again. And Jesus and John both preach the nearness of the day of the Lord. So they say, hey, maybe this is Elijah, who Malachi prophesied about, uh, prophesied about. Still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So later in Jesus' ministry, we'll get into it, um, Lord willing, it, towards the end of, of this year. Jesus is identified specifically as the prophet. That's what they they call him. And, and Jesus' ministry matches his prophetic predecessors, all right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos. All the rest, okay? Um, because Jesus, what he's doing in his first coming, is he's constantly calling Israel to repent and return to the Lord and be faithful to the covenant. Which is just like that. You don't have to read all the prophets. I just told you what they all say, right? Ryan, we've been in Amos forever. What do we say every week? What's our application? Repent! That's all they're saying, okay? And, and Jeremiah is specifically persecuted For calling Israel to repent and be faithful to the covenant. Jesus says, I'm being persecuted, Matthew 10. And you go out in my name and you go out with my message. You too will be persecuted. So they say, maybe you're Jeremiah. That's what people are saying. So the answer to who did they say I am? It's pretty close. Okay. It's not like they're way off in who Jesus is. Jesus is absolutely Coming in the spirit of John and Elijah and Jeremiah and the rest of the prophets. But Jesus is not simply a prophet of Israel. Jesus is the king of Israel. Okay, like this is where we're going. But you, he asked them, they say I'm a prophet. But you, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you 
are the Messiah, you are the son of the living God. Okay? Peter's right, right? He's also a prophet, but he is he's the king. So, so those terms, uh, Messiah, okay, means anointed one. Just Saul was a Messiah, okay? King Saul, who, you know, bad. He's a Messiah. He was anointed by God to lead the people. So uh, Messiah and Son of God are not divinity terms, okay? I know I've told you, not from this pulpit, from that pulpit, I've told you that Jesus, Son of Man, means he's fully man, and Son of God means he's fully God. Jesus is fully man and fully God. That's not what those terms mean, so I'm sorry. All right? They're not divinity terms. Peter is not saying here, you're God. All right? Is Jesus God? Yeah. Can you say that louder, please? Yes. Okay. Okay. But that's not what Peter is saying here. When, when Peter says Messiah, when Peter says Son of God, those are royal terms. Okay? I don't know if you... Amanda's psalm today was a royal psalm of David's son, of, of the king of Israel. The, the royal terms uh, for Israel's long-awaited king who will crush their enemies and rule all the nations in perfect peace. This is what the Messiah, the Son of God, is to do. Okay, So the promise to Israel for the world has always been a son. All right. From Genesis three to Eve, your son, right? Your offspring will crush the serpent's head. Then to Abraham, Abraham, you're going to have lots of offspring, but you will have a particular one. Genesis 49, uh, from whom the scepter will not depart, nor the staff from between his feet. The obedience of all the peoples belongs to him. So that the son language, the Messiah language uh, is moving forward. And then we get to King David. And this is where the Messiah, the son of God, the anointed one language and expectation really picks up. OK, so you're David, you're ruling as the king of Israel and the prophet comes to you and gives you the word of the Lord, which is this second Samuel seven, which if you get second Samuel seven down, you've got most of your Bible down. OK, so just go home and Read that. I will, I will designate a place for my people Israel. This is the word of the Lord to David. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them in the land that I promised to Abraham and his descendants. So that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. What's the house of the Lord? The temple, right? You've turned my father's house into a den of robbers. Zeal for your house. The temple will consume you. So the Lord himself will make a temple for you with the throne in it. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, David. Okay, so when you die, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Okay, so son is a king is a king is a son. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be. The Lord says he will be my son. Okay, so I, God, will be his father. Therefore, he is the son of of God. All right. It's not divine terms, just. Son of God means king of Israel, all right? Therefore, your, verse 16, your house and kingdom will endure how long? Long time, okay? And your throne will be established forever, okay? So you, you, the immediate context got to be Solomon, right? Your descendant will build a house. Does Solomon build a temple? 
He does. Okay, if you don't know, he does. All right. Solomon, he builds the temple, but Solomon doesn't fulfill all of these things. Okay, especially at the end of his life, things start to go um, down. Didn't listen to Rocky's coach, right? About women. All right. Doesn't doesn't work well. Solomon does not fulfill the promise to David. Neither do uh, Hezekiah or Josiah or Asa or any of the like what five good kings after that. Like none of them fulfill these things, right? They have moments where it's like this might be the Messiah, this might be the Anointed One, this might be the Genesis three one who's going to crush the serpent's head. But none of them do this. So the psalmist and the prophets, we'll just read a psalm, but the psalmist and the prophets they pick up on this expectation. They have to cast it into the future. Because he's not here yet. All right. This like this is kind of the nature of prophetic ministry. We have promises from God. We're not seeing them. So we're going to speak the word of the Lord in hope. Right? OK, Psalm two is, you know, we could do 20 of these. We'll just do Psalm two. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Messiah. Okay, saying, let us burst their bonds apart. Let us cast their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. He holds them in, in derision. So just to calm your, your, your little hearts this morning, okay? At the moment, you, you know, you turn on the news, you look at them, you look at what's going on, you scroll through Twitter and you're like, oh my gosh, only idiots are in charge. And only idiots have ever been in charge, right? And you're looking at how the world works. Just know the Lord is seated at the height of the heavens laughing. Okay, he is not worried about the, the, the rulers of the earth taking counsel together against him and his anointed. All right, he's going to deal with it. He has a capital D day to deal with all of this stuff. He who sits in the heavens laughs and holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. He will terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. What was promised to David? A king ruling from that holy hill forever and Israel being in peace forever and no longer being oppressed by their enemies forever. So this is not happening. And the psalmist says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Okay. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. I will make the nations your heritage, us Gentiles and the ends of the earth. Your possession, you shall, at your day, break them with a rod of iron, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Kiss the Son of God. Kiss my King on my hill, on Mount Zion. Let... Uh, Lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. Okay, so this is what Peter is saying. Okay, Jesus says, who do they say I am? One of the prophets that, you know, you're doing prophets. Who do you say I am? And Peter says with Israel in and out and in and out and in and out of exile, still waiting for the Messiah, still waiting for their king, waiting for the son of God to appear. Peter says, you are the second Samuel seven king. You are the Psalm 2 son who will terrify the nations in his wrath and fury and, and you know, do the rest of do Psalm 72. Okay, rule the na- all the nations from the river, from sea to sea and in righteousness and perfection and glory. Okay, you're not just a prophet. You're not just a miracle worker. Peter says, you're the king. You're the God. 
You're the one that, that, that's promised. You're the one that we have waited for, which fast forward makes the death of Jesus just gut punch, right? This is the guy, okay? And so something that might be new to you, this is not uh, where the light bulb first comes on for Peter, okay? Peter and the rest of the disciples have confessed him as the king since he called them, okay? John, John chapter 1 uh, John the Baptist said, you know, Jesus comes walking. John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. It takes away the sins of the world. In verse 40, John 1, 40, one of the two who heard John speak, that this is who that is, followed Jesus, was Andrew, uh, Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon Peter, and said to him, we have found the... We found him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I always thought Matthew 16 was like the first... It's not. They, they, they've always known this. Okay, we found the Messiah, which means Christ, which means King of Israel. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, "We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets also wrote." Genesis forty-nine, Deuteronomy seventeen. Right, this King will take the Torah, write it, meditate on it all of his days, and rule the nations with it. Verse forty-nine. Nathaniel answered him, "Rabbi, you are the." Son of God. Okay? You are the king of Israel. Okay? So from John 1, they're like, this is the guy. And in Matthew 16, after testing and trying and testing and trying and, and doing dumb disciple stuff, okay, that they do, that we do, they're still confessing that this is the guy. So Peter's confession is not new. Jesus is just drawing it out of him again. In a time of testing, right? Peter, you know, even after I've run off the crowds, right, multiple times at this point, and even after I've ticked off the, the religious leadership multiple times at this point, which is a big deal, okay? Like, the, like the, 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 the seat of, of it, this would be like, you know, this is not, don't take this too far, all analogies break down, but like, if, if Jesus was doing stuff, and I'm, I'm following Jesus, and it's spiting Joe Kreger. Okay? I just, the most honorable person I can think of. That's who the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders are. And the disciples are having to choose, like, I think this is the guy. So I'm willing to lose reputation. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, a, it's a big deal. And so Jesus says, after I've ticked off the leadership, after I've run off the crowds, do you still trust that I'm the king promised? And Peter passes the test. Okay, again, it's not the first time he passes the test again. Now, we know he's going to fail some tests later, but he's passing it this far so far. Right. He's doing the thing. And so Jesus responds. Blessed are you, Peter. Blessed are you. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in the heavens. So based on flesh and blood, right, what we can see and perceive, Jesus has done some things that would make the disciples doubt. All right. Running off the crowds, not going immediately to the throne, ticking off the Pharisees um, and the religious leadership. But the disciples are not basing their trust solely on what they have seen, but on what the father has revealed to them. Okay, obviously through the teaching of Jesus, that's the father revealing thing. Obviously through the miracles of Jesus, that's things the father has revealed. But also through that Ephesians 1, 17, the spirit of wisdom and knowledge, uh, uh, revelation in the knowledge of him. The Lord's given it to these men. Blessed are you, Peter. Flesh and blood did reveal this to my father who is in the heavens. You passed the test, Peter. Blessed are you. Okay. 
And now we come to the fun stuff. Verse 18. And I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Hallelujah. So let's deal with the rock first. Two general ways that that people have, have taken this. One is to say Peter is the rock. I say you are Peter and on this rock. Okay? And the second way people take it is to say, no, 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 no. That sounds too Roman Catholic. The rock is the revelation about Jesus that Peter had. Okay? Guys, it's both. Okay? Lay down your guns. Right? It's both. Peter's the rock. All right? Grammatically, this is what it says. Logically, this is what it says. Peter is the rock. The Lord Jesus is, Ephesians 2, the chief cornerstone, no doubt. Okay, like we're not saying something else, but Peter is is the rock. You'd have to be just dishonest to read the rest of the Gospels, to read the rest of Acts, to read Peter's letters and go, you know, that guy is not foundational. <laughs> right? And what, 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 Ephesians 2 or Ephesians 4, right? The, 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 the bedrock, right? Obviously... Christ, but then the apostles and prophets we build upon the, these things, okay? Peter can be the rock and, and, and the foundation of this early Jesus community without having to get into the mess of apostolic success, succession and popery, okay? Like, you don't have to do that. They don't do that until, like, the 4th century. And then they're like, well, maybe Matthew 16 means this, and this will make me rich. That's later, okay? It, it's just later, okay? So, for a guy, Peter is the rock. It's okay to look to Peter and say, that, that's, that was the one Jesus chose to be the rock. But second, what identifies Peter as the rock is his confession that Jesus is the king of Israel. This is the Messiah. This is the son of God. This is the one we've waited for. And on this rock, all right, with Peter as the figurehead and on Peter's confession, Jesus says, I will build my church. Matthew, uh, the Blessed Hope translation, you are Peter, the rock, and on this rock I will build my assembly, okay? My assembly, my, my group. Church is not a religious word, okay? It, it, it's not. It just means a group, okay? So, you know, homeboys getting coffee at Jiffy tomorrow morning at 5.30 a.m., right? right? That's a church. That, it's the same word, all right? It's not... It has zero religious connotations at all, and you don't care about this. Okay, never mind. Right, I'm just, it, it, it's, it's just an assembly. So Jesus is not saying, I will build a new institution called the church. Okay? Okay? He's not saying, I will build a new people superseding the old people. Right? Like, that is not what's happening. And I know that the default setting of believers, and again, I've, I taught it from that pulpit. I thank God I haven't taught it from this one yet. Um, The default is generally that Jesus invents the church, this new thing at Pentecost. And that's just not what's happening at all. Okay, it's not like we have you guys noticed some songs we sing. The words are different here than what you hear on the radio. No, You haven't noticed. (laughs) So we sing we sing King of Kings. uh, And if you're listening on the radio, it says "And the church of Christ was born and the spirit lived. We cut that, okay? I don't want you singing that. That's not what happened, all right? The word of God was was for the spirit lights, the flame, the apostles go and preach. But they've always been the assembly. There's always been an assembly of God, an assembly of the righteous from the beginning, okay? Like, it's not a new thing. God has always had an assembly. God has always had a people faithful to him, 
And so throughout scripture and throughout history, there's just two assemblies you need to know about. Okay, just two churches. We have the assembly of the righteous. Okay, and you would say Abraham and those faithful to Abraham's God and Moses and those faithful to his God. The assembly of the righteous, those faithful to Yahweh who walk in his ways in repentance and faith. Guys, that exists uh, in Genesis 1, in Genesis 3, in Genesis 6, like all the way, and it exists now, all right? This is what, what we are. There's the assembly of the righteous, and there's the assembly of the wicked. Those who are not loyal to Yahweh and walk in their own ways, and that doesn't change based on what part of the story that we're in, okay? So just an example, Psalm 1 kind of gives us both parties here. Psalm 1, verse 5, it's my dad's favorite psalm. Um, the, verse five, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, right? The day of the Lord, the wicked are, are, won't stand, right? Matthew three, they'll be like chaff cast into the fire, nor sinners in the congregation, right? The assembly, the church of the righteous sinners won't stand. There will be a separating on that day for the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the ways of the wicked will perish, right? This is how it works. Now, it's weird now because of Pentecost and the amount of Gentiles that have come in, but it's not a new thing, right? There's a continuity of God's people all the way through. So those who are part of the assembly uh, Jesus is building and has been building are those who share Peter's confession that Jesus is the king of Israel, Jew or Gentile. Okay, this is his his body on this confession with Peter leaving the charge and, and serving as the model. Jesus says, I'm building up. My people, okay? And now the, the best part. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my assembly. And the gates of Sheol, the gates of Hades, not hell. Don't read Helen. That's not right at all. The gates of Sheol or Hades will not prevail against it, okay? So what does that mean? Depends on what kind of church you grew up in. <laughs> okay? Doesn't mean that the church of Jesus or the assembly of the righteous will go on the offense and attack the gates of Satan's realm and war against the powers of darkness, binding and loosing, or whatever else comes into your mind when you read this verse. I don't think so, okay? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I don't think that's what Matthew's trying to communicate, okay? don't think that's what it means. Now, let me clarify. Is the assembly of the righteous, okay? Are we meant to engage in, in spiritual warfare and preach the gospel and cast out demons and battle, not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the heavens and, and the powers of this present evil age? Yes, absolutely, right? We did a little last night, okay? Like, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, we are to do all of those things, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here, okay? That's not what the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church means, the, the gates of, of Hades, the gates of Sheol, is simply a term used to describe death and the grave, okay? Which is our greatest enemy, okay? Which is a perversion of life. Isaiah 38, just so you get the, the language. A writing of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, after he had been sick, I am consigned to what? To the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I'm dying. I'm going to go into Sheol for the rest of my years. I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. He's going to die. The gates of Hades, the gates of Sheol will hold him. Okay. Job 17. My days are past. My Job's negative context, right? It's not good. My days are past. My plans are broken off. Where then is my hope? Will I go down to the bars, the gates of shale? Shall we descend together into the, the dust, right? The, the 
dirt, right? From dust you came to dust the curses you will return, right? Death, okay? So the gates of Sheol, the gates of Hades, they represent death. They, they represent our greatest enemy. They represent the perversion of God's good world brought on by sin, okay? Human beings are not supposed to die. We're not supposed to, right? In the beginning, this is not how things were. And Jesus says to Peter, death will not prevail over my people. Okay, death will not prevail over my assembly. Death will not prevail over my church. Those who profess Jesus as Messiah, as Christ, as son of the living God will not be trapped and held by the gates of Sheol. Those who profess Jesus as king, who John 3.16 believe in him, will have eternal life. They will not what? Perish. They will not die. All right. The gates of shale don't overcome them. Doesn't take them for those in Jesus church, for those in his assembly of the righteous. Death does not get the final say. And it, I, I think this is something just because we're surrounded like from birth. We're just surrounded by death and it's normal. And our, our mindset is people live and people die. Like you don't feel the perversion of death until it's somebody close. Okay? You, you, just, you don't think about it. So this is a passage along with Matthew 16, Matthew 18. Because they have to deal with the church and, and pastoring and, and all this stuff. I put a lot of time into over the last seven years. Okay? I get a... Rolled up with Matthew 16 and, and no notes, just done it this morning because I've spent some time there. So I knew this passage is coming up and so I'm reading this week and, and studying and, 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 and trying to pray through it. And, and Monday, you know, I've got all the information. Tuesday, you know, I've got, I've got whatever in my brain, but there's nothing happening in here. Okay. And I think you guys, happens to you too. Like you're reading the Bible and it's just like a brick. Nothing's happening in here. Okay, and so I'm asking, Lord God, you, you, I don't want to just read the Bible. I definitely don't just want to read a, uh, an essay or whatever on, on Sunday. I want the Word of God hidden in my heart and, and moving me. So, God, would you? I'm just praying, God, make Matthew 16 real to me. God, I ask for the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of you to, to be, be in here. Okay, I want to feel Matthew 16. And so Tuesday night, um, I have a dream. Okay, and if you know me, I, I don't dream, okay? I close my eyes, time passes, and I wake up, right? <laughs> um, Sierra dreams all the time, okay? I, I don't dream, so if I do have a dream, I'm assuming it's the Lord or a demon, and we'll discern, okay? We'll discern what happens, and so... I go to, I pray, I'm like, God, I just, I, I need the word in my heart, I need it to be real, and I have a dream, and in, in my dream, um, um, Sierra dies, okay, and, and, um, it's, it's real, like, I, I, I'm, I don't know I'm in a dream, like, in, in, in my mind, in my heart, Sierra has, has died, and I'm just thinking, I'm like, I'm wake up tomorrow and and i'll just make coffee for brody i won't make any for her because she won't be there and i'm just it's just so i wake up it's like 5 a.m and i'm just like sobbing because it's real like it, it's just the most real thing and then i start to think about members of our congregation of death has, has and death has met 
and, and it's real, and, and even the effects of death and, and people losing uh, physical ability or cognitive ability, just all the, the curse of death, the perversion of death, it's just weighing heavy on me. And so I get out of bed, I don't want to wake up, Sierra, who is there, praise God, like you're there. And, and I, I go into the kitchen, and I'm, I'm just, I'm losing it. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not, my dad, I don't cry a lot. I don't, not something that, that I do. But I, it's horrible. Like, Wednesday morning, I'm just, like, in the kitchen, like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is so bad. And it's so wrong. It's just, it's not right. And, and I open up uh, my Bible, and you know what I read? First thing, Wednesday morning, 5 a.m., on this rock I will build my church, and death will not prevail over it. It will not prevail over it. Okay? Like, this is the truth of the gospel. Death does not get the final say. And so even if that dream was real, I know that Sierra in Messiah on the last day will be raised from the dead to live forever. I'm glad you're here now, but you will live forever. It's not a small thing to not believe that Jesus is the king. To not believe that he died for your sins, went to a tomb, and came up out of that thing as a firstfruits for those who are in him who will also be raised from the dead. It's everything. It, it is just everything. And so for those of you who are like, Matthew 16, I don't care. This is for you. Death will not overcome you. Death will not overcome the saints. In the Messiah, we will live forever. Forever. So let me just bathe you in the book of Romans, okay? Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Romans 8. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life. Your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Romans eight eighteen. For I consider the sufferings of this present time. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us at the day of the Lord. Verse 19, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation's groaning for the resurrection of the dead. Creation longs to give birth to the grave. The sons come out of the grave. Verse 24, if creation was subjected to futility, not willingly... But because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The freedom of the glory of the children of God is not being dead anymore. Being raised from the dead. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves. If you have an issue, if you're dealing with death, if it's visited you, it's groaning. It's not right. You're supposed to groan over death. It's been groaning together. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we also groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, which is what? Which is what? The redemption of our bodies. Okay, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that's seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Okay? I don't presently see the dead raised to live forever. Okay? Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Romans 8, 37. No, in all of these things, and what are these things? Death and sadness and sickness and disease and suffering and crying and pain. In all these things... 
Paul says, we are more than conquerors. We are not overcome by death. We are not held by shale's gates through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus affirms to Peter, you have to believe, what you have to hold on to in the face of death, the gates of Hades, the gates of Sheol, death will not overcome the people of God. This is just all there is, guys. That's all there is. Death Will not overcome you. The Lord will come with legions of angels in flaming fire and raise the dead to live on the earth forever in glory. And there will be no more sadness and sickness and pain or death anymore. God, we ask you. God, we ask that you would give us spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you and what you will do to death. That you will take death and the grave and you will cast them into a lake of fire forever. God, you will raise the bodies of those that we've lost to death to glory forever. So Holy Spirit, you have to do what words can't today and make these truths real to us. Bind them on our heart. God, I thank you for this body, this this assembly, this church of the righteous God who, who have professed Jesus is the King. Jesus is Lord. God, I ask there would be just a spirit of encouragement on us, God, on our lips. When we gather, we are encouraging one another. We're exhorting each other every day, as long as it's called today, to stay on the path, to run the race, to say it is worth it. To walk faithfully before God in the midst of suffering, in the midst of death, it is worth it to reach that day. Holy Spirit, we ask, just do your work. If you're here today and you haven't put your trust in Jesus, today's the day, okay? Talk to, um, if you're sitting next to a member of our church, they can tell you what it means to trust in Jesus. They can tell you what it means to follow Jesus. Talk to me or any of our elders. Um, but this is what we believe. This is our, our confession. Everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Amanda, you want to help us? I'm going to invite our elders up to the front. If you want prayer for anything in response to the message or, or just anything at all, our elders will be up here. We encourage you to pray with them. If you're not praying with an elder... Uh, Pray, pray by yourself, pray in your row, but this time is for prayer.